everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. A bad hair day, that phrase was coined in the 80s. It became really popular in the 90s. When we say, I'm having a bad hair day, yeah, it means we got bad hair, but it also means today that our day is just not hitting on all cylinders. You know what I'm saying to you? But I think all of us have had, let me see in the mirror here, a bad hair day. We really have. Well, today I'm talking about someone who had a serious bad hair day. His name was Absalom. Absalom was absolute about Absalom. In other words, if we could bring Absalom on this stage, Absalom would say, I just love me some me. You might be going, well, I can't connect with Absalom. He was mentioned over in the Old Testament. Second Samuel, I, I can't identify with that. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, we can. I might not be much, but I'm all I think about. The ride of pride, ego, ambition, listening to people who just tell you what you want to hear, saying, I'm the man or I'm the woman. You're like Absalom. I'm like Absalom. When I have those thoughts, when you have those thoughts, when I say those words and you say those words, we're absolute about Absalom. Well, Absalom was a multi-billionaire. The scriptures say he was handsome, not a blemish on his body from head to toe. And the Bible goes on to describe Absalom as basically a guy who wanted to be well-known. Ask anybody today, especially someone in their teens or in their early 20s, hey, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? They'll go, I just want to be famous. Have you noticed that? That's the genre today. I, I just want to be famous. What does that look like? I don't know. I just want to be famous. I just want to be, I just want to be well known. That's Absalom. Absalom was so into Absalom, he was so absolute about Absalom that he built this pillar, this magical monument, this mausoleum, which was going to be his resting place. He named it after himself. Again, Absalom was like, I love me some me. He wanted to be famous in life, but also famous after he clocked out. Sadly, though, there's a contrast in Scripture. Sadly, the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 18 that instead of being put to rest in a magical mausoleum with this giant pillar to mark the spot, Absalom was thrown into a pit beneath a pile of rocks. What happened to our brother? What happened to our man? Absalom had an ambition problem. When your ambition ends with you, your ambition will end you. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 2 Samuel. If you're here, like for the first time in several weeks, we don't have view a verse anymore. We used to have the view of verse where you could show up at church and you have to bring your Bible and just everything was right there for you. Buy a Bible. My wife got one. 
at a garage sale a while back for a dollar. If you don't have the money, we'll give you a Bible. Get the New International Version. That's the one I normally preach from, the New International Version. Can you imagine going to an athletic contest and not having a program? You're going to have a program. You've got to know what's, what's going on, what's happening. You've got to be engaged and involved in the game. If you don't have a Bible, share it with somebody. Just say, hey, can I, can, I, can I look at your Bible? And there's no telling the friendships that will be secured because you shared a Bible. There's no telling the people that, you're meet, that you'll meet. If you're single, if you're single, you could be sitting beside someone you need to meet. Who knows? Now, those of us who are married only share your Bible with your spouse, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. Second Samuel, Second Samuel. I'm going to read Second Samuel chapter 14. And you can read about Absalom in more detail, 14, 15, 16, and 17. But I want you to go to Second Samuel chapter 14, verse 25. It says, In all of Israel there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. This guy was ripped shredded, cut. He had the six pack. I'm talking about of abs. Everybody loved him. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair from time to time when it became too heavy for him. Get out of town. Too heavy for him. I'd pay top dollar for hair like that, wouldn't you? So when his hair became too heavy, he would weigh it now, ladies, does that sound like male vanity or what? The dude was weighing his hair. Only men would do that. Uh, I, I'm just going to weigh that hair. You got a haircut? I'm just going to weigh it. See how much it weighs. He would weigh it, and its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. Five pounds. Five pounds of hair. Back in the day, like today, you have beautiful hair. It's all about pride and vanity. And especially with someone like Absalom, who was absolute about Absalom, who who loved me some me. He loved his hair. Absalom, though, was a member of a very dysfunctional family. His father was David. That's right, King David. That's right, the giant killer David, a man after God's own heart, David. David, the military genius, the poetic genius, the musical genius, the stud athlete. That was his dad. Absalom was wealthy, handsome, charismatic, articulate. He was a part, though, of a very, very dysfunctional family. All of us come from dysfunctional families. Our families are dysfunctional. Everyone here is dysfunctional. We're not perfect. We're sinners saved by grace if we're believers. We've made that grace reception. David's family... The family that Absalom found himself in, highly, highly dysfunctional. David had various wives, and David, at the peak and pinnacle of his career, committed adultery with Bathsheba, then had her husband Uriah the Hittite murdered. Absalom wanted attention. He wanted involvement and engagement from his father, but he didn't have it. He had a brother named Amnon. Amnon raped his half-sister, Tamar. Absalom waited for his father, David, to do something. Surely David's going to discipline. Surely David's going to be engaged and involved. But you know what David did? Nothing. (laughs) He didn't do a thing. You're like, David, get in the game. Come on, David. I'm so thankful for so many fathers here. 
who were focused. I'm so thankful for so many dads here who discipline and who are dynamic. You understand, dad, that, that your agenda right now is not to be your, your kids' buddies or just their coach or their homie, you know? You're the parents. You're the parent, so be the parent. You're the leader. One day, when you become Paul Paul or Meemaw or Hee Haw, you can be their buddy, their homie, their friend, whatever. But now, you are the parent. And I talk to so many families, and I see so many husbands and wives and, and, and fathers and mothers, and especially the moms who are so intuitive, they want their husband the father of the children to be engaged and involved, to step up and step out and step in to the disciplinary process. But many times dads just don't. We become the Disney dad. We delegate discipline to our wives and we let them be the heavy. Then we come home, let's have a party. Daddy is home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. Someone said amen. Thank you. You know what amen means? So let it be. That's the truth. That's a passionate woman right there. (laughs) Isn't it funny how we do that though? But it's kind of a a weird situation because for, for the men in the house, we're rewarded in the corporate world or or in the educational world, or in the church world. We're rewarded when we go to the office and when we perform, we get parties and perks, we're able to speak in different spots around and write books and do all this. But when we come home, where are the parties and the perks? (laughs) You're a lesser known personality. (laughs) You're a husband, you're a father. The family needs leadership. We're dying. We're desperate for dads to step up and step out and step into the lives of kids and discipline. David, this is hard for me to even articulate. I can't believe it. David was the distant dad. And because of it, it wasn't just David's fault because we have to take responsibility for our lives. I'm not saying that we should always point the finger of blame at everyone, but, but, but that was one of Absalom's problems. The reason Absalom was so upset and the reason Absalom killed his brother Amnon for the rape of his sister Tamar was the fact that his dad didn't do a thing. He did nothing. He thought it would go away. When we confront sin rapidly, in our kids' lives, that's when it's best dealt with. If we wait, if we think, oh, it'll be okay. I'll just, just, you know, just give give them some more stuff and I'll just kind of turn my head and bury my head in the sands of denial. Later, the sin, as it compounds interest daily, it's going to be a U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi, ugly situation. So let's deal with it now. Many of us don't want to deal with discipline, parents, because let's face it, it's just too hard. It takes work. It's much easier to buy the iPhones and send them to, to camp and let them do whatever with whoever and whenever and just bury our heads in the sands of denial instead of doing the hard work of discipline. But I'm so thankful 
for so many parents, especially so many dads at Fellowship Church and at all of our campuses in Miami. I know who you are in Plano. We, 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 we got your number downtown. We're all up in your chili in Fort Worth. Oh, yeah. We're in those cheese nachos. We know what you're doing and we're so thrilled to see dads leading the home. David failed at home. Let's just be honest. And that's one of the great things about the Bible, talking about keeping it real. The Bible keeps it real. It shows the strengths and the weaknesses of all these cats. And that's why I've been talking about the lesser known personalities of the Bible, because the lesser known people are there for a reason. And we're going to make the lesser known well-known. Some of you are like, well, I don't even know the well-known people. That's okay. Hang around here for a while. I'll get to the well-known. But Absalom is a lesser known personality of the Bible. Built this pillar to himself. It was all about Absalom, yet he ended up in a pile, in a pit with rocks on top of him. His, his beautiful body bruised and battered and broken and cut up. His hair all matted and, and, and ripped out. You're like, Ed, are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. Here's what Absalom did. You know what Absalom did? Absalom thought, well, I've killed my brother Amnon. Dad's just kind of out of the picture. I'm going to take over his throne. People love me. I'm good looking. It's all about me. Misplaced ambition. When your ambition ends with you, your ambition will end you. That's huge. And, and, and many of us look at people as a means to an end instead of looking at people as an end. We've never locked eyes with someone who does not matter to God. We lock eyes with someone, they're one of a kind. They're unique. Yesterday, some, some close friends of ours uh, were at our house and, and, and one of their kids uh, was in our home. His name's Ryan, four-year-old boy, handsome little kid. He, he walked in with his, with his cowboy boots and his cowboy belt and you know, all the, our six dogs were surrounding him. And, you know, so some of our, our kids were talking to Ryan. And so I started talking to him. I go, I go, Ryan, do you think you look like your mom? He's like, no. I'm thinking to myself, okay, he's all boy. He's going to say, I look like my dad. That's, that, that's what he wants to look like. I said, so Ryan, you look like your dad, don't you? He goes, no. Then he goes, I look like myself. <laughs> That's some strong theology, isn't it? Do you want to look like yourself? Meet God. Build a personal relationship with God. You see, Absalom had an authority problem. He had misplaced ambition. It was all about Absalom instead of being all about God. And because he had misplaced ambition, he had misplaced authority. If you want to go up, you got to get under. He was not under the authority of God. We got to get under the authority of God. We got to say, you know what? God, you're God, I'm not. Whenever we study the Old Testament, I'll say this again, please download this. We, we learn by repeating things. That's why scripture repeats things so often. The Old Testament is all about progressive revelation. God is giving a little bit, then he gives more and more. And as the plot clots, we move into the New Testament. And then we have, of course, Jesus Christ living the sinless life and dying the sacrificial death, rising again. The Old Testament, though, has three laws that are being set up. The first law 
is the, the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law is the whole sacrificial system thing and, and all of that in the temple and the Holy of Holies that culminated with the final sacrifice of Jesus paying the price on Calvary for our sins. That's why we don't have the sacrificial system anymore. It's finished. It's done. That's grace. But we understand when we're studying the Old Testament that it's, that it's a sacrificial thing that's being set up. Also, too, there is the, the civil law that's being set up in the Old Testament. That is the theocracy. That's the fact that God is in charge, that God rules and reigns. The church is not a democracy. We're a theocracy, theos. God ruled, God led. When we read the Old Testament, we understand that the theocracy was being set up. But here is where we're going to camp out and and do the KOA thing for a while. It's the moral law. When we study someone like David, in this case, like Absalom, we can take those principles and precepts from his life, as wild as it was, and apply them to where we live right now today. So if you're watching this online, if you're at one of our campuses, if you see this on television, you can apply this right where you are today. Because every word in the Bible, in the Hebrew and Greek, it's called every jot and tittle is there for a reason. Absalom is there for a reason, and we can learn from his life. He thought it would end in a a pillar of praise. It ended in a pile of, of a pitiful, wasted life, a tragedy of what might have been. Here's what Absalom did. Are you ready for this? Absalom decided to take over his father's throne. Misplaced ambition and misplaced authority. He wasn't under God's authority. He wasn't under his dad's authority. He wasn't under people in his life's authority. He wanted to speak into his life. He thought, you know what, I'll take over my father's throne. After all, everybody loves me. Dad's doing a horrible job. I'm just gonna gonna take him out. So he starts this process and there's this big battle going on. Well, Absalom is is a mighty warrior. He takes his father's palace for a while. David was smart, he bolts. Absalom, I'm warning you, the Old Testament is R-rated. When he moves into the palace, sleeps with all of his father's 10 concubines on the roof of the palace for everybody to see. I'll stop there. Well, David, I mean, David is a warrior, a military genius. They still study his strategies today at West Point. David's not going to sit back and relax, rest on his billions. He's going to fight. Here's what David said. He told Joab, his commander, don't touch my son Absalom. Absalom's trying to take over the throne. He's doing a pretty good job of it. We're going we're gonna to take over, but don't touch Absalom. You know, the dude with five pounds of hair, don't touch him. He's my boy. So the war begins back and forth, back and forth. Absalom was so charismatic. He took one of David's top advisors. And strangely enough, this top advisor from David was Bathsheba's grandfather, the woman that David committed adultery with. It's kind of an involved story. You can read about it later. He listened to his advice. Absalom did. He took the advice from Bathsheba's grandfather. You might go, it's pretty smart. Yeah, it was smart. It's smart to listen to advice. 
Here, though, is where Absalom failed. Listening to advice is one thing. Discerning advice is quite another. See, we need to have, to have advice from the right sources. We need to discern that advice. He had misplaced advice. Some of you are asking advice, but are you discerning the advice? You'll never discern the advice. You'll never go to where God wants you to go until you put the advice through this grid of Scripture, until you really, really think about it. And that is true wisdom. I believe that common sense is highly uncommon. Common sense, though, becomes operative when we build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So Absalom was totally floating in the seas of relativism. Misplaced ambition, misplaced authority. He thumbed his nose in God's face, in others' face, in his father's face. He, he didn't realize to go up, he had to get under authority. And here's what's so interesting, too. I have to throw this in. You know, David, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed her, her husband, David was confronted. You know what David said? I've sinned before God. I've messed up. I've blown it. He confessed his sin. Absalom, read about him, had the inability to say, I was wrong. I sinned. Do you know someone like that who just can't say those three words? I was wrong. Do you know anybody like that? You're like, I'm married to someone like that. <laughs> My wife is like that. Husbands, just look at me. Don't look at your wives right now. <laughs> you know somebody like that? Maybe your wife is going, my husband's like that. He, he just cannot admit that he's wrong. A sign of humility, a sign of grace, a sign of proper righteous ambition and proper and righteous authority is admitting that you were wrong. And something else. Isn't it interesting, dads, that, that many times our sins are amplified in the lives of our kids? That's why we need to step up and step out and step into their lives and discipline them because they will rise up and call us blessed. Well, let's go back to Absalom. He's in the fight now. He's in the palace. He's, 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 he had relations with his father's concubines. Everybody's like cheering. Absalom, 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 Absalom. David still had his forces. David's the military genius. Absalom is riding, the Bible says, this souped up donkey through the forests of Ephraim. I'm not lying to you. His mane is flowing in the wind. He's knocking out people left and right. You know, abs ripped and he's just, wow, phenomenal. All of a sudden, the donkey runs too close to a tree. Absalom forgets how big he is, forgets how long his hair is. His hair gets tangled up in a branch the souped up donkey keeps on going. And there is Absalom hanging from his hair, hanging from his pride, hanging from his ego, hanging from his male vanity. He was having a bad hair day. Have you ever had a bad hair day? What did David say? Don't touch my son, he's my boy, but David, He's trying to take over your throne. Don't touch him. You know what Joab did? David's commander? 
He saw Absalom having that bad hair day. He picked up one javelin right through his heart. Another one right through Absalom's heart. Another one right through Absalom's heart. And he was still living and he told his soldiers, finish him off. They threw him in a pit, and as the soldiers rode by on their souped-up donkeys, they threw stone after stone after stone. He planned on being laid to rest in a pillar of fame. He ended his life in a pit covered by a bunch of rocks. Misplaced ambition, misplaced authority, didn't listen to advice, misplaced advice. Absalom, oh, Absalom. Do we have some Absaloms in the house? Do we have some Absaloms listening? Some Absaloms, some people whose ambition ends with them? I'm here to tell you, your ambition will end you. I started this message off describing to you the empty tomb of this magnificent mausoleum of of Absalom. It was never occupied. It was empty. He ended up in a pile. But I want to describe to you another empty tomb, a tomb that we celebrate every Easter. It's the empty tomb of Jesus. Because again, as we talk about the contrasts In Absalom's empty tomb, we have someone who found his life and lost it. Someone who exalted himself and ended up in a pile. In Christ's empty tomb, we have a man who lost his life and found it. A man who humbled himself and was exalted. A man who lived a sinless life, who was fully God and fully man. A mystery that my little pea brain will never grasp. Yours won't either. We gotta just accept it. Fully God, fully man. He lived this sinless life, I'm talking about Jesus. Died a sacrificial death, I'm talking about Jesus. Rose again, I'm talking about Jesus, and offers us eternal life. A Couple days ago, I was talking to someone far away from God, a friend of mine. And we were in the middle of a conversation. And he looked at me and he goes, Ed, how would you describe Christianity, your religion, he called? How would you describe it in one word? I looked at him and I said, grace. He goes, what's that? I said, grace is unmerited favor. It's something that no one deserves because we're sinners. And God, because of his irrational love, commissioned Jesus to pay the price on a rugged cross to redeem us and to free us up and to forgive us and to cleanse us of all of our sins. And I said, all we've got to do is tell the truth about our condition and receive it. I can't work for it. It's... It's grace, I told him. He goes, that, man, that's, that's really cool. I've, I've never heard that before. Have you ever heard that before? 
Because you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. Have you heard that before? Because if you've not made that grace reception at the end of your life, you're going to be gravely disappointed. Gravely disappointed. Just think about it. You can have authority of another kind. You get under and you'll go up. You can have advice on a level you've never dreamed imaginable. You can have ambition. I'm I'm talking about righteous, godly ambition that starts here and culminates in heaven. It goes on and on and on forever and ever. I'm talking to the Absaloms in the house. You might be going, well, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. That's our sin nature. We need to confess our sins and just say, God, you know what? You're God and I'm not. I turn from that and I turn to you. Because that is the decision of grace, the decision of life. Because one day, we're going to clock out. Are we going to live forever with Jesus? Or will we face that Christless eternity? If you don't build your life on Jesus, you're going to be gravely. I believe a lot of people here need to make a decision to, to make a grace reception. All you got to do is do this. Just say these words with me because I did it a long time ago. I can't make you do it, but I can lead you and show you how to do it. You can do it right here. You're like, well, Ed, I mean, you don't understand what I'm into or involved in. You don't understand what I did last night. You know what? I don't. God does, and He still loves you more than you can even realize. Surely I need to know a lot more. You know what you need to know right now to make this decision. So just say, if you've never said this before, just say, God, I'm a sinner. I admit to you the obvious, that I've messed up, that I have misplaced ambition and advice and authority. And yeah, I've done some good stuff, but basically at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a sinner. Because you see, God is holy. He can't sin. He can't even look at sin. So here's what he did. Because of his grace, he sent Jesus to live this life and to become sin, to take the guilt and the pain and the suffering, to take the licks that we deserve on the cross. Then he conquered death. He burst forth and his tomb is empty because of the resurrection power. So for those here who have a hard time saying, I was wrong, God knows it. God knows you're a sinner. Just say, God, I'm a sinner. I turn from my sin. Say that. And I turn to you, Jesus. I ask you to come into my life. I give you the reins, the car keys. Take my life, Lord, and let it be consecrated as an act of worship before you. Come into my life. I give you everything. My mind, my body, my relationships. I need a Savior to say that. Thank you for listening. And thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. 
We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless. God bless.